Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Before we get going, today is Christmas Day when this episode comes out, and for those of you who maybe found us this year uh, in 2020 or haven't gone back through the archives, a year ago we had a really great discussion about the term Merry Christmas and its counterpart Happy Holidays and all sorts of other festive language issues, and so We'll put a link to that on the description of this on your podcast, and uh, if you can't find it in the feed, just go through that link. You'll be able to listen to that episode, too, and that's two episodes for the price of one here on Christmas. You can't really beat that. But throwing aside the spirit of Christmas entirely, the two of you, Kathy and Ross, have decided to make me about as irritated as I can possibly get when it comes to language, because tell us what we're doing today. We're going to talk about business jargon the annoying words that clutter up business talk, and particularly some of our pet peeves in that in that realm. It's like our bah humbug for the year, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least for me. And I think in honor of this new, the beginning of a new year actually almost coming up, let's let Fletcher chuck out that first annoying word. <laughs> well, <laughs> my, my least favorite right now, and I don't actually know if this counts as business jargon or if it's more like advertising jargon but what i'm really hating right now is the word solutions oh, oh good you <laughs> were with you <laughs> solution as a verb is the one that makes me just want to like kick people literally or figuratively and i think actually the one thing i want to just throw out just quickly when we're talking about business jargon there basically a lot of guys have looked at this and there are two types of jargon one aspect of jargon is probably sort of okay. And that's sort of the shorthand you use in business where you have a specialized uh, business and you use certain words to kind of shortcut what you're doing. When I was in the foreign service, we had one, um, you can declare someone persona non grata, which means you're kicked out of the country. And we would never say he was declared persona non grata. We would say he was PNG'd or pinged. And in that case, I think that's sort of legitimate. You're talking quickly with a fellow worker or whatever. Sure, because everything has jargon. Every every specialty has jargon, right? Yeah, they have their own vocabulary. Yeah. And that's fine. But but yeah, what's what's the bad part of that, Ross? The bad part is when those words kind of like overextend and get into the general public and they're overused and they become cliche or they be, they basically have no meaning or there's a better, easier word way of saying it in the first place. Like solution, for example, why don't you say, let's solve the problem? As Kathy just said, let's solution the problem seems silly. You don't need that word. It's also just overused, not just as a verb, I and mean, the verbing, if you will, of, of a word just drives me insane. That, I mean, across the board, and we can talk about other words that have become verbs that I think shouldn't have. But in the case of solution, it's like occasion. There's certain words that are just attached to anything, like, and they cease to mean something. If you keep saying solution, this is a something solution. It, 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 it just loses its meaning. Yes, there's a, I think. there's a local business, I think, here that refers to their knitting solutions and maybe their drapery <laughs> solutions. 
<laughs> that's it. That's it. There you go. I just wanted to say something that I found interesting when Ross was talking about different forms of jargon. And Fletcher, when you talked about jargon, and you said there's jargon, of course, all over. I mean, look, we all have jargon in different industries, etc. When you said it, did you think of jargon as a negative word, the term itself? This is just something that fascinated me on some level. Do you think of jargon as a loaded term? Not particularly. Not not me. Yeah, me neither. Now, Ross, you said right before we started that you do. You think of jargon as a negative, period. The I word, actually I'm do. I, I mean, after saying you can use jargon legitimately in a business, I still think when I hear the word, I think of it negatively. And I do think, Kath and I were just talking about this just before we got on. Jargon, we, neither of us knew this. Jargon, actually, uh, the origin of the word comes from uh, the twittering of birds. And I think that origin indicates a negative an originally negative uh, meaning. Mm -hmm. And one of the first usages was, was from, um, in English, was from Chaucer. Chaucer. And he's saying it as a negative. And I agree with Chaucer. But that's what surprised me when I looked it up, because I don't think of jar. I think of jargon as shorthands, if you will. And sometimes, like we said with solution, it's it's like it's like just sort of bloviating. It's just puffy words that like just sort of sticky and viscous and annoying. But I also think of it as just like the vocabulary for a business. And I was surprised when I looked at the OED and almost, I think every one of the definitions is negative, which shocked me. I, I wouldn't have thought that. I mean, they talk about apply contemptuously to a mode of speech and unfamiliar terms, barbarous, rude, or debased language or lingo. It's just, it, I wouldn't have thought of it so negatively, that's all. And I, I think we're in agreement, though, that uh, unlike the OED in that sense, there are two definite way uh, uses of jargon. The first definition is a specialized or technical language, and that's fine. You need it. Shop talk. We're going to talk like this. Kathy and I have a jargon word that we use all the time referring to writing. It's our own personal words, uh, flens. Flens usually refers to stripping the fat off of whales and whaling. But we refer to it as flensing an article that we're writing. And we refer to it as, it's a little different than editing. It's sort of like stripping away the, we both have a tendency to be very prolix. The blubber. <laughs> I like it. And it's stripping away the bullshit. It's cutting out the bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We use it all the time. A couple of times we've actually made a mistake and, you know, talked to an editor and said, yeah, we're going to flens that. And the person looks at us like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys? They don't realize they were loops and background. <laughs> you know, I was thinking uh, while you were talking of another way jargon can be negative. Uh, I guess on top, although probably in in one of those definitions it exists. Uh, you you have jargon so that you can talk sort of shorthand with people who work with you, but you also can be very exclusionary using that language around people who maybe aren't as steeped in the world as you are even even if they may even be somebody who work in this who works in the same circle as you but maybe you sort of try to prove that you are better or or more in the know than they are by using some ridiculous jargon that maybe excludes them from your conversation Hmm. That's interesting because I'm just looking and now one of the um, OED definitions said it, it's applied contemptuously to any mode of speech abounding in unfamiliar terms or peculiar to a particular set of persons. So you would accuse someone else of jargon because you don't understand it. So it is exclusionary in that sense and probably deliberately so. And can I add something in that sense? And this is very, this is contentious. Kathy and I both disagree with the author. But um, an author at Columbia Business School did a study of jargon. 
And he said, quote, jargon is like a suit, a car, a watch. It's a status symbol. And he says people who are insecure dress up their words to appear smarter, to cause them to appear, to you know, take themselves more seriously, and also in a way to like exclude others from that. Now, this is something that Kathy and I both felt was partially true, but his key point was that jargon is used by lower level people and people at upper levels more secure in their high status don't use jargon as much and we both don't think that's true we didn't do any survey of it but the only thing that it interested me and i looked up uh there were for a while there was something called the golden flannel awards done by uh financial times and uh they would take you know like basically jargony gibberish and most of the the winners were ceos these are like statements that are just loaded I mean, I'm just going to read one right now. Our $22 billion company creates unique time to value through a comprehensive suite of innovative solutions that helps clients win in the human age. I mean, what the devil does that mean? No. The human age. No. Oh, as opposed to those others. Oh, <laughs> but now, see, now, okay, now, I'm got, now my question is, is we're, I think that there are, we had already said there's two types of jargon. But I think that within that, there's also the jargon that is just that. That's just puff. That's just, all that is, is PR puffery. As I used to be in PR, and let me tell you, I, I know puffery when I see it. I used to write it. So you're, you're using these like multisyllabic words, and you're saying nothing, but you're trying to make it longer. You're trying to say, we're, we're reaching out to people. Oh, my God, I used reaching out, which I was going to talk about. That's one of my pet peeves. So that's one kind of jargon, but there's the other kind of jargon that uses certain words over and over again that to me is more puffery than jargon in a certain way yeah it so may... now not all jargon is puffery is it no yeah it may be that we need more than one word for this i mean we might be we might be just defining jargon in too many different ways yeah so we're talking we have like basically we have good jargon <laughs> shop talk bad jargon when the with the word is just sort of bull and then we have puffery which are like sort of polysyllabic words, which just sort of disguise anything anyone's trying to say. Yeah. And I think there's like a slight exactly. overlap there's, between yeah. the latter two. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's interesting. Well, so we can leave aside the good jargon for, for the purposes of what we're going to talk about, right? We're, we're not talking about the shop talk. We're not talking about how I communicate with the producer next door to me. We're talking about the other two things. Right. We're talking about the stuff that makes you want to scream. <laughs> oh, man, does it. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, let's get into some more. Okay, Fletcher, here's the first one we talked about, circle back. I, that's what I hate. I, I don't like it when people say, let's circle back to that later. No, it um, basically means let's talk about it later. Why don't you just say that? And we have yeah. another one, take it offline. What do you think of that? Well, that's when you're pissed off at somebody. <laughs> you say you don't want to just say circle back, which is polite. You're basically, I have no time to talk to you. Let's take it offline. Taking it offline. I've never said that in my life, but I say it very well. I think I'm a businessman. <laughs> Does that mean like like we're going to table that or yeah. I, don't, I don't understand exactly what it means. It's 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 kind of tabling it tabling it until I I have the desire to get back to you, which is who knows when. And keep on topic, let's dialogue. Ew, no. I'm not going to dialogue with anybody. <laughs> Good for you. This is that I I'm going to interject that is my personal pet peeve where it comes to jargon my biggest one is when you take a noun and you turn it into a verb even when there's a fine verb out there already and dialogue's one of those like, solution we said before impact 
was that? I mean, I, I don't understand the need for this. Why make up a word? Why change a good word? Yeah. Uh, impact impact bothers me a little bit less than it does a lot of people, but but I, I definitely understand with that one. Also, uh, also when things are impactful, that's yeah. that's strange. But no, but you're exactly right. This is this is the one of the horrible things with all of this is turning everything into a verb. You don't you don't need to do that. It's actually also making words more distant from us being human. The one that gets me is um and this is a puffery, sort of a puffery thing is curate. Curate used to be a nice normal word and now it's just it's just all over the joint. That's been bothering a lot of people, I think, because not everything is sometimes you're Sometimes it's just a collection, right? The idea of curate basically is you're taking care of a collection or you're taking care of a parish. Uh, you know, a curate of a parish is <laughs> right. the person who's a caretaker. <laughs> but at other times it's, it's basically used with museums. And as Kathy just said, I mean, it's just, it's just launched out into everything right now. Everything is curated. I watch TCM. I'm not sure you do too, Fletcher. And there's the curated wine collections they're always talking about. You know, to go like X wine goes with why film or something and we had editors who always talk about curating this curating that i don't like the word at all for that use for me the first time i think i really thought it was a, an editor of ours um said something about how we were great curators of quotes and it made me feel very strange and and it's true like now they had things about curating your hair like a hairstyles is curating your hairstyle um what there was a curated bed and breakfast remember ross you had seen that one which I don't even understand. What's a curated bread and breakfast? I mean, it's a, a bed and breakfast is a bed and breakfast. And, and I'm trying to understand when, I mean, it started out, what, in the 80s, I think, was when it started like, like becoming this broad-based usage. And, and, and I suppose it's supposed to imply some sort of like care was taken and it's special. It's bespoke, which is another word that I, we had written about, actually, Ross, you and I. And I, I don't quite understand the need for it. What bothers me with curate actually is it comes from the Latin curare, which is to care for, and to care for carefully, to take care of. So when people carefully curate, I see carefully with curate as well, and that's sort of redundant actually as well. I don't think there's any need for this word outside of a museum personally, or a parish. And it goes to one of the major problems with all of this, as we saw with solutions, and as I'm sure we'll see with many of these other words, is that it, it begins to lose all meaning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what does curate really mean at this point? It simply means manage to take care of something. Well, actually, I think it's if we go back to like the puffery angle, because I, I think people are using curate because it sounds fancy. I really think it's that simple. Instead of saying, I chose this, I curated it, a curated collection of clothing, that's like you picked some clothes, you picked an outfit. Yes. It's not curated, <laughs> I mean, you know? <laughs> that's exactly right. But I'm gonna, actually now I'm gonna change the topic here. I'm gonna throw one out. And we put this in an article saying you know, overused jargon words. And then I started thinking about it, and I actually think I prefer it. Reach out, as a basically reach out took over basically from the 70s, I guess, reach out and touch someone. I started thinking about it, I kept hearing it, I kept getting annoyed by it, and then I found myself using it, and I'm not sure I'm against reach out. I hate it. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. What about you, Fletcher? <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I use it. Let's see, I just wanted to reach out, and no, I don't use it. I don't use it, but I don't. I don't really hate it. Well, I mean, we we did I find references to the, uh, reach out all the way back to 1859. Uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe had something 
But I, Kathy made the point when she wrote the article that it seems to have really taken off after AT and T. No, it didn't. It's, I'm sorry, Russ. I've got to interject. No, that's when it. That's where it start. That's where it was used. But it's only been used recently as the as the, instead of I'll get in touch. That was the ad. Was it was in the seventies? Decades later is when it took off. It took out in the in the in the in the in the, in the aughts, if you will. Okay, that that thanks. I stand corrected on that. But to me, I I sort of like if I'm gonna reach out to Kathy, that may mean I call her, email her, like I'll contact you has like a weird, I don't know, reach out seems I'll get useful. in touch. I'll call you. I'll, I'll write you. I don't understand. Reach out to me implies this fake, I'm sorry, you can hear me. I hate this. No, no you can yell I'm at me. Very I, it doesn't it. bother me. It, to me, it implies this like fake sort of mushy, like I'll reach out. It's it's like touchy feely, but it's bogus. Oh, this it's is like interesting. The person, I mean, how many business people have said I'll reach out to you later? They're not reaching out to me. They're gonna they're gonna email me or they're gonna call me. I mean, just say call. Just say email. Don't say I'll reach out implies some sort of like coziness to me. That's interesting because I see it, and I'm gonna I see it as something as like a way of like amalgamating all the different forms nowadays that we have of contacting or getting in touch with someone. Getting in touch is, is so longer. So get in touch. But getting in touch is the same as reach out to me. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Looks like Fletcher Judge. What do you think, Fletcher? Wrong. Reach out is fake and, and, and smarmy. It sounds, it's supposed to sound personal. It sounds canned. It sounds like I'm trying to like make it sound like sort of like personal. <laughs> it's not. Well, a lot of people agree with you. Know. They hate it. But what do you think, Fletcher? I don't like it so much in the context Kathy's talking about, I don't care nearly as much as she does about it. <laughs> but I'm thinking about when it's used, like if somebody's, um, maybe somebody is grieving and you want to reach out to them. That, that That's a, different though. It is, but it's the same phrase, right? But see, then I think it's okay because then I think it is a personal sort of thing. Then I think reaching out is like being human and 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 or em and empathetic or sympathetic or something. Whereas what I think when it's used in that like 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 we had a, a former agent of ours would go something like, oh, "I'll reach out to you later," and it's like it, it it just sounds stupid to me. Right. We're we're conducting a business transaction or business communication, you don't need to pretend like I'm your your friend. But see, I think yeah. you two are basically adding an emotive content to it that I don't see. I see yeah. it more as a as a consolidation of various forms of communication. I'm not when I say I'm reaching out, I'm not saying you don't have to wait for my email or for my phone call or for my whatever. You're I'm basically saying I will somehow contact you. So I see it as like a shorthand in effect in the good sense of jargon as a shorthand for like, don't worry, we'll be in, I'm going to be there for you in a, in a week or whatever. I'll reach out to you within a week. To me means I'll call, email, whatever you in a week, within a week. I see what you're saying, but I, I hate it. I'm sorry. I, just can't, I can't. I'd rather have somebody ping me. Ping me is, is I hate ping. I'll be pinged, but I will not be reached out to. Can we just go back to when everything was baseball metaphors, like touch base? Touch base. We were talking about this. See, touch base, I like, but but then I, baseball's my favorite sport. So, I mean, touch base, I you can touch base with me, but you can't reach out to me as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, I'm all about touch base. I think that works, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I love baseball. I was thinking, though, another problem with all of this, besides uh, stripping the word of any meaning, is kind of the 
fetishization of business and of commodities that we have and and commodifying everything is a big problem in our language too and, and i'm thinking specifically of the word content right now Ugh. how every 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 piece of creation every 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 creative uh product is is content now it it just it commodifies this whole artistic world into a, a block of thing I, I think that's an excellent point. I, I, I think that's absolutely brilliant. I really do. It's much better than my railing about reach out. Absolutely. I mean, content as a writer, and I, I think Ross would agree with me, I think it really diminishes like words become like it's just content. No, it's not. It's writing. Writing is not just a collection of words. It's they're put together. They're curated, if you will, in a certain way. And, and I think that you're right. I think it is a commoditization um, across the board. I also hate the idea that content is directed towards an end user instead of a reader or a viewer or whatever. I hate end user used with content as well. I agree. I don't like content at all used as that. But I think Fletcher is completely correct. It's basically the commoditization of, of what we do, what we all do. I think it is. I think it's, it's putting money sort of into the, into the equation, which I don't like. It's kind of toxic. I mean, it's not just annoying. It's it's pernicious. Well, it's like human capital. That's a, that. I mean, that's like what I'm just thinking of other words that sort of like take the the humanity out of the language in a weird way. Make it just very human capital's one. Human resources in general. Well, downsizing and for firing people. I mean, I've seen that a lot this year. Downsizing used to. I mean, they're. They, they don't. No one ever says they're, you're being fired or you're cutting. You know, you're cutting jobs. You're always furloughing, downsizing. You know, furloughing. I mean, actually, is real, but it's they're all euphemisms. And that goes to another point we have with jargon. What Kathy was saying, we have jargon. We have bad jargon. We have good jargon. We have bad jargon. We have puffery, and we sort of have euphemisms now used for um, unpleasant circumstances. It's interesting. I was just thinking, remember back in the 70s was when you had a lot of that. And remember all the bureaucraties, like, I forget, those funny ones, those sad ones. It was like a, an airplane crash was like a vertical landing or something. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's interesting. In bad times, I think we really pull out the euphemisms more than usual, don't we? We do. I think we're beginning to lose sight of our language a little bit here. Well, it makes it easier to turn everything into a bottom line. It, we we just we take all humanity out of everything by by using these words, and and everything becomes numbers. It takes the humanity. Yeah, we we step away from it. Ross found, and it fascinated me because one of the words we were talking about that it, this is not as much uh, business business, but it, money business, but it works. Is ideate, ideate, and ideation instead of saying like come up with an idea or brainstorm. And Ross, what was that? You found a list of all the different methods. Oh, this was fascinating. That they use. It was in a business journal. It was ideation methods to spark innovative ideas. There are hundreds of ideation methods, and here are some of the best: brainstorm, brain dump, brain write, brain walk. Scamper, challenge assumptions, mind map, sketch storm, storyboard, analogies, provocation, game storming. It goes on and on through the alphabet. It's astonishing. Basically, what they're saying is thinking. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's all you need to say. I'm fascinated by sketch storm. I'm sorry, that one just sort of stuck in my brain. Go on. Well, I was just thinking, I want to throw something out to, back to Kathy. Kathy worked at an advertising agency, and didn't they have some sort of weird. Uh, creative. Oh God, it was hell. It was uh, back 
oh man, I think it was the 90s or 80s. It must have been the 80s. And they started, they, remember the book, A Whack on the Side of the Head? That was like when there was, everything was thinking outside the box started and pushing the envelope. And they had a creative, uh, the whole creative team had to go in for all these seminars. Actually, the business side did too with some guy who had written a book a la Black and do creative exercises. Their job was to be creative. Their job is to come up with ads, but they had to do these ridiculous corporate exercises to like stimulate the creativity. And all it did was irritate the hell out of everybody. I've forgotten that. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that that gets into the real problem of jargon though. I think jargon could like, as sort of Fletcher was saying with, with, um, with money, Jargon kind of take over our way of thinking. We start thinking that thinking is something different than thinking, and that's dangerous. It's ideating, which reminds me of a word. Let's keep things, let's keep on humaning things. Don't you agree, Fletcher? No. <laughs> this is this our is personal pet This is up? our personal pet peeve, humaning. Go cat that's with That's a the, word? This oh. one, yeah, it actually was invented in uh, 2020. It was, it's, it's a new word. It's a neologism. And it was in a corporate marketing video. And they said in it, today we need to stop marketing and start humaning. And the video got so much attention that the company, I'm not, I, I don't remember their name. I can look for it. Uh, had to shut off YouTube comments because apparently they got the views, but everybody was going humaning. Like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and this is the best. Their definition, after they were asked constantly, like, what does humaning mean? They said it's a unique consumer-centric approach to marketing that creates real human connections with purpose. Sure, why not? <laughs> but the interesting thing is it goes right back to what Fletcher was talking about earlier with commodities. They also state... We are no longer marketing to consumers, but creating connections with humans. <laughs> I mean, in a weird way, to give them a little do, they're actually saying, hey, consumers are actually people. They're not just numbers. So maybe, maybe there's something in humaning, but maybe you don't even need the word. You could just, like, be a human. I just love the fact that this was all about snacks. They <laughs> 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 invented humaning for snacks. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry, that just makes me want to weep. I'm really, I am really crying here with laughter. They said that they were leading the future of snacking by offering the right snack for the right moment, and with humaning, we'll feed the hunger for human connection. Well, hunger, I guess they're doing a good job with it. <laughs> well, speaking as a former PR and ad writer, that's really well done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but couldn't we come up with another term for snacks? Something like... I in innovative stomach content or something like that. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> That's another one though, innovative. Uh the uh innovation is is all the rage here in Wichita, Kansas and I'm not sure what it really means anymore. Nothing. The one I really hate is low hanging fruit. Kathy defended it until she started looking it up on uh online and there are thousands of uses of low-hanging fruit that one just irritates me why does it irritate you just because of how ubiquitous it is yeah, well it basically started out as sort of a you know let's go for the easiest thing first sure but it becomes like, like you just said it becomes so ubiquitous as a cliche and it bothers me it's rotten fruit to me ah clever you too could be an advertiser you too could be human rots <laughs> No, I, when I started looking for it, because I didn't, it doesn't bother me. It never did. But then I, I found just a couple things. Like my favorite was they talked about a drug dealer and they called her a low hanging fruit drug dealer because she was like a low man on the 
dealing Joe Paul apparently. And I was like, okay, it's getting a little too much out there, I think. Okay, next word is, um, it's the oldie but goodie, Synergy. Oh, yeah. That one's still kind of all over the place. It's not as much as it used to be. People kind of started making fun of that finally. And so I think it's it's gone down a little bit, although you probably have the numbers in front of you and you can tell me that I'm, I'm wrong. I'm curious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check as we go. As Kathy's checking, I had something interesting. I was talking to my son and a couple of his friends, all in their 20s and 30s, said this is used by, you can always tell when you hear synergy, it tends to be a baby boomer or older millennial. It's and it's a target word for them, which I think also points to something interesting about jargon. Jargon falls in and out of fashion. And Fletcher, you just said it as well. And so in some ways, if we use synergy as a jargon word, we're identifying ourselves as sort of older duds rather yep. than hard charging young people. Yep. And that's how that's how it gets uh, that's how it gets moved out, right? Is it's not cool anymore. No. But Kathy it, it, made... Yeah, I'm looking at the chart. I'm looking at the engram, and it was like really low. It started going up in the 60s, skyrocketed, reached a height in 2008, and has been going down, went down. But then in two, 2016, it started popping up again. So who knows? Is it is it rebirthing? I, I invented <laughs> that one. <laughs> okay, well, one of mine is actually, I just found this today. I was talking on a Zoom with uh, my son and a bunch of his co-workers and people, various people. And it's, do you guys know this racy, R-A-C-I? Never heard, I've heard of racy, R-A-C-Y as in, whoa, that's racy, but not that, no. Racy is, is, is responsibility assignment matrix. And uh, they don't, my son doesn't use it, but he knows some people who've talked about it. And there's a great dialogue, a co-worker goes, going forward, we'll be using racy for all projects. What's a racy? RACI stands for Responsible, Accountable, Consulted, and Informed. The RACI will be distributed around so we're all aligned and on the same page. But, like, what is it? Is it a chart? Um, it's kind of hard to explain. And that's used around the country now. Isn't that insane? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just fascinated. This is a new one on me, and I, it, it scares the hell out of me. I could be, this could be a local thing. I'd never heard of it, but, you know, they said they had heard of it. And the other one I wanted to say is, it reminds me of solution, is occasion. Have you guys noticed that all the time now? You don't just talk about anything. It's like you talk about an eating occasion. Right now, Christmas, it's a gifting occasion. Oh, no, I haven't heard that, but I can I can hear it completely. Yeah, it's a lot like solution. That one reminds me of something I noticed on TV a while back. It's not really jargon. I'm just throwing it out. But a situation was a fire situation. I used to always hear that on TV. It's a murder. It's a, it's yeah. a, everything is a situation. It's not a fire. It's a fire situation. It's not an accident. It's an accident situation. Occasion has the same thing. It's kind of sort of nouning things, to use a verb. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, though. I think that occasion is supplanting situation a little bit now. Yeah. But I think occasion is a little nicer. I think situation is more negative. It's like, you're right. It's like, oh, it looks like we've got a storm situation. But we have like a, a dining occasion. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Snacks for all your dining occasion solutions. Right. <laughs> right. That's it. synergistically speaking. Uh, okay. Um, well, we uh, got a lot out of our system today, I think. Yep. Yeah. 
This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Seattle, Washington. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at KandRPetrus at gmail.com or email me at Powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help us. They're how we get more people to find us. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.